Hi there, and welcome back to Not In The Mood. I am your host, Daryl Moody. We are gonna take a deep dive this week on the issue of fake news. I had the opportunity this week uh, to interview a man by the name of David Dozier. He's a professor emeritus at San Diego State University's School of Journalism and Media Studies. Now, the issue of fake news is nothing new to us here on Not In The Mood. We've talked about it at length. You guys know how I feel about it, but this is an election year, and I think it's a really important subject for us to understand what is fake news? Where does it come from? What does it look like? What should we be looking for? How should we protect ourselves from being influenced by it? So like I said, I had this guy on the phone for about 20 minutes. And uh, what you're going to hear is basically my phone interview with it in, with him in its entirety. And I have to apologize to you. The quality of the audio is not great. Of course, I'm working with Google Voice and a cell phone here. But uh, I can't even remember where I was out and about when this guy called. I was probably working from home. But uh, again, his name is David Dozier, Professor Emeritus at San Diego State University uh, at their School of Journalism and Media Studies. So I opened up with the question, what is fake news? Well, lots of people mean lots of different things by it. A lot of times it's just uh, a name you call the other guy, uh, and we see a lot of that, uh, a lot of that lately in, in political dialogue. But strictly speaking, fake news is uh, somebody who knows something is false and uh, is uh, distributing it as if it were real news. And the purpose generally is to either promote a cause or a politician uh, or a product. And when we're out there consuming news, uh, be it through social media or, or just browsing the web, that kind of thing, uh, you know, are there any red flags or markers for fake news, things we should look out for? Yes, I think that one of the things that uh, when when we start talking about fake news and uh, basically the consumption of information, especially through social media, is that um, most folks are, uh, in essence, uh, functionally illiterate when it comes to social media. And what I find is that the easiest thing to do is when you see something uh, on social media or or anywhere, frankly, uh, spend a few minutes tracking down where did that information come from? Who said that? Why should we believe that this source is true? And uh, uh, I think that especially with social media where basically anybody that can type and has access to the Internet can basically say anything they want, uh, we have to be especially careful because there are no gatekeepers, there's nobody checking for accuracy. It's just simply a process where anybody can say anything, and if it happens to resonate, uh, it goes viral. And uh, when it goes viral, it's very hard to uh, you know, straighten the – get back to the truth. And so one of the things I always do when I – uh, when my wife, for instance, tells me that she saw something on Facebook, I say, well, where did that come from? Who says that's true? And in, in very quick order, uh, you know, a couple of Google searches, you can find out where it came from and then make an assessment of how true it is. I think part of the problem is is that there are some things that we just want to believe are true. Uh, you know, that you see that with uh, – uh, 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 President Trump and uh, discussions of the deep state, um, a lot of folks just want that to be true, and they don't care whether there's any supporting evidence or not. And, of course, there are certainly uh, uh, similar characteristics on the uh, left wing of the political spectrum where they just want to believe certain things about Donald Trump and, you know, prostitutes in Moscow or, or whatever those are. And uh, and in it's easy to make stuff like that up, but it's awfully hard to 
find out if it's factually true. And so I think that the best defense to fake news is to be, uh, you know, be a little bit literate about where information is coming from. And, of course, there was a lot of speculation behind the driving of fake news, who's, who's you know, sourcing this and sharing it and, and creating it and spreading it, and why are they doing it? You know, what are the forces at play here? Well, journalists uh, have been uh, – journalism and reporters have been decimated by the Internet. We have roughly a, a third uh, fewer uh, working journalists in newsrooms today than we did back in 2000. And as a consequence – Journalists are much more dependent on uh, news releases uh, and uh, things provided to them by public relations practitioners. And also, journalists are paying closer attention to what's going on with social media. And when something's trending on social media that, you know, uh, points the attention of the uh, legacy media uh, towards whatever it is that's trending on social media. So you've got this very complex ecosystem where, um, various and sundry players are um, trying to get a story told. And as a consequence, uh, we, we see the use of uh, information subsidies, which uh, basically means that, um, which is traditional PR, it's uh, news releases, it's setting up uh, interviews with people inside the organization. And the reason why they're called information subsidies is they simply make it easier to cover certain types of news over other types of news that might be embarrassing to uh, a politician or a political party. So as a consequence of looking at this, this system of information subsidies that are, you know, basically legitimate means of, of uh, organizations getting their side of the story told, and you couple that with fake news and the way that fake news just, you know, ricochets around the social media uh, at the speed of light, it's easy to see how it's how, it, how all of us can become very, very confused about what's true and what's not. Well, I tell people that, you know, and in light of what you said about the, the fewer journalists are actually working today than 20 years ago, but yet how much more content is there available? When we start talking about content, you know, where does content come from? Uh, I work for many years um, as a newspaper reporter and uh, uh, developed relations. I covered police and, uh, and courts, and I developed some relationships with those folks, and um, I was, you know, very dependent on their uh, information as content for what I was writing. Uh, but I was there to act more or less as a gatekeeper and hold them accountable for stuff, including uh, one case involving police brutality that they didn't really want to talk about, and, but it, we did. Uh, and today that's getting harder and harder to do because, yes, there's a lot more content now, um, but it, there's a, a quality issue. Where does that content come from? Um, who's saying it's true? Who's backing it up? And I think one of the key issues is uh, transparency, the, the need for people to understand where information is coming from and then you can you, you can weigh it. If you get a piece of news from uh, uh, Fox, um, you can weigh it one way. If you get it from MSNBC, you can weigh it another way. Uh, and in all cases, it, it, it may be true or it may be false. Um, and it gets back to that notion of, of, of media literacy and social media literacy. People have to be discerning community. Uh, uh, consumers of the information that uh, that they're receiving. So, wow, there's a lot of content out there. 
but the quality isn't what it used to be. You know, and it's amazing to me working in newsrooms and seeing the TVs next to each other. You can see Fox News in one, on one TV and CNN on the other. And the lower third headline on CNN says, President Trump supports vigilantes taking out BLM protesters. And then next to it, it's the same image on the TV with a different lower third in the Fox News logo. And it says, uh, Donald Trump, or President Trump quotes, I am the law and order president. And it's just, it's, 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 it's amazing the contrast. And it's just like taking the different glasses on and putting them on and looking at the same thing. Well, right. You know, and, uh, uh, President Trump was the, was, uh, one of the early folks to figure out that it doesn't really matter what people are saying. It's pay attention to what's going on on the lower third of the screen because, uh, for a lot of people who don't really watch the news on TV, they kind of hear the news on TV or they have the sound off and they're just looking, you know, occasionally at what's flashing on the screen. And, you know, if you're at a gym or uh, this is all, pre-COVID-19, by the way, but let's say you're at a gym and you're, you're watching the news while you're on an exercise bike and uh, you see that lower third of the screen and that's all of the story that you get and uh, that leaves an impression and uh, that, that unfortunately uh, is a lot of what folks are using as a way of making determinations and uh, I think we're getting more and more into our, you know, our tribal cocoons where uh, we we basically accept stories that uh, fit our pre-existing worldview, and of course, all our friends on social media back us up. So there's, it obviously must be true if all my friends agree with me. Uh, but you go, you know, three houses down, and and it's folks with a different worldview, different political perspective, and they see things completely different, and everybody agrees with them in their little cocoons. So the problem I see for the democracy. Uh, uh, is that we we really need to start um, developing the capacity to talk to people who are outside of our comfort zone, and uh, and maybe stay away from you know calling people names and and shouting insults, uh, and trying to develop a dialogue because I think that that what we're seeing with social media is a fragmentation of of our basically our collective consciousness into a whole bunch of little tiny cells where. Uh, nobody's talking to anybody else, and nothing makes sense uh, uh, when other people say it because they're not sharing our shared worldview. Now, i got to ask you something newsman to newsman. Uh, you know, we talk about this contrast in the coverage and people's views of the news. Uh, for most rational, objective-thinking people, it leads to a distrust in the media. Now, I'm a local news guy, you know, like you were, reading police reports, and reporting on overnight shootings and school board meetings and, and stuff like that, you know. And I always say in radio, it's really hard to to be subjective because we only have 30 or 40 seconds to tell a story. So, therefore, you really just have to – you can just tell the facts. But, I mean, you know, how do I as a local news guy, how do I, you know, how do I maintain my integrity and trustworthiness as a journalist? That's the $64 million question. I do think that in the early days of social media, when the, the news media, uh, organ, and I'm talking about the organizations you work for, not you as an individual reporter, because as you well know, individual reporters have uh, not an awful lot of control over business decisions made by the folks that own the radio stations or the TV stations or the newspapers. And, and, and so you look at when the 
the social media and the internet began to eat away at uh, the advertising revenues of of the, if you will, legacy media. Uh, I think what you saw was a, a, a sense of, oh, we got to get, we got to do it faster. Uh, we we need to be faster than social media. Well, that's that's the that's the wrong move. I think that the credibility of all working journalists is first and foremost be honest to yourself. Uh, uh, you're not going to get it right all of the time, uh, but you got to give it your best effort, and you got to tell the truth as you understand it. And when you're not sure, say that you're not sure, or maybe sit on that story a little longer, uh, so that you have a chance to make sure that you got it as correct as you can get it. And I think that therein lies the challenge. I think that the uh, uh, our current president has made uh, the assault on the media a uh, uh, kind of a, like a campaign uh, uh, a campaign slogan. And I think that's incredibly unfortunate. I'm basically very old-fashioned in that I believe the fourth estate is an absolute must in a democracy. We need to have journalists who are basically asking hard questions and pursuing information and, yes, using uh, confidential sources in order to hold the other, the, the rest of the government, uh, you know, the legislative and executive and judicial branches accountable to the American people. And so we have a tough job, and I think that, that, that the old values of just, you know, get it as right as you can when you make a mistake, be forthright and explaining that, yeah, we made a mistake, and here's what we're going to do to um, try to make sure that that mistake doesn't happen again. Um, but I think more than ever, um, the working journalists and people doing your work and people, you know, thousands of journalists all over the country are uh, doing uh, a critical job, not just for the people they work for, but for democracy, for keeping our country healthy. And I think that... Uh, the way we build credibility is, frankly, you know, one step at a time. You know, every time we get a story right, every time, uh, every time uh, somebody is in a story and they can read it or hear it, and they go, "Yeah, they, they pretty much got that right." I've had the occasion of, when I was in college, had occasion of being in a, a, a couple of. I, I went to UC Berkeley, so it was pretty easy to get in the news. Um, and uh, and I remember a couple of times we were in the news, and you look at the story, and you go, well, that's that's not what happened. So I think that, um, uh, and I think that these were all very competent journalists. But when you're looking at a story, it's difficult, very very difficult, to tease out what's important and what's not, and just getting the facts right. Um, I was very proud that two years I worked for a small weekly newspaper. We never had to run a retraction on anything I wrote, and. Uh, it was a small town, and I knew everybody on my beat, so it was uh, a relatively easy task. But I think we, we as journalists all need to take pride in how often we get it right and, you know, be very, very um, concerned when we don't get it right and making sure, well, how did I get that wrong and what can I do to make sure that I get it right next time? Well, let's bring it back to the election coming up in November. Uh, we all have some very important decisions to make as voters and as consumers of news and as people out there uh, taking in various forms of media, you know, how do we how do we kind of keep the fake news out and keep the kind of stuff from influencing our, our thinking? Well, like I said, I think it goes back to the notion of the, uh, the, the if you will, a new responsibility uh, of citizens in a democracy, and that's uh, media literacy and especially social media literacy. 
Um, nobody is going to be able to stop that information uh, from reaching you. I know that uh, Facebook and Twitter are trying to implement some forms of uh, some forms of content control, but these are all going to be done by algorithms, and it's never going to be perfect and as hard as they may be trying to block fake news. Uh, there'll be lots of folks with lots of money trying to do an end run. So. In the end, it's the responsibility of the, the news consumer to basically ask some hard questions about, well, is that really true? Is that something I believe in? I'll give you a quick example. Uh, my wife's uh, pretty progressive, and uh, we were watching the coverage of the uh, demonstrations in uh, Portland. And at one point, when uh, President Trump sent in federal, uh, federal agents and they weren't wearing any identification and using unidentified vehicles to haul people away. She says, oh, I just found out that uh, that those guys are all basically um, part of uh, uh, the uh, uh, the mercenaries from uh, Iraq uh, under the Bush administration. That's who those guys are. And I said, well, wait a minute. Who told you that? She said, oh, it was on this. And so we started backtracking. Honest, it only took about two or three Google searches to find out it was a remark that somebody in Portland had put on their Facebook page. And because it fit with what a lot of progressives might think was happening anyway, it certainly fit their worldview, it went uh, like wildfire through social media. Only problem was, it wasn't true. And so we all got to take responsibility for looking at the information that were provided, information, especially on social media, because that is totally unfiltered information, very, very susceptible to uh, fake news. And we need to take responsibility for, wait a minute, where'd that come from? Who says that's true? Does it make sense to me? And and working through um, the, the uh, if you will, the, uh, the credibility issue. And that's especially true if you happen to agree with it. You know, it's part of me that wanted to agree. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those were Halliburton folks in Portland. Uh, but I go, wait a minute. I I read the, you know, the New York Times and the Wall, uh, Wall Street Journal on occasion, and the Washington Post and the L.A. Times. I said, I nobody's talking about that. So I decided to do a little detective work. It didn't take very long to figure out that uh, it just wasn't, uh, it, to the best of our knowledge, wasn't true. And uh, and I think that's what the average consumer needs to do because in the final analysis. Nobody's going to be able to protect you from uh, fake news, uh, other than your own your own internal filters that basically, you know, calls BS on stuff that's BS. Sage advice, kids, take it to heart. Be smart while you're out there reading the news, or at least what you think is news. I'm Daryl Moody. Join us next week.